You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Today I want to talk to you about Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew and depending on how long we go, we might talk about the rocks. Not Mountain Dew on the rocks. Mountain Dew and the rocks. Your mama's so dumb, she tried to climb Mountain Dew. I know any of the good ones. <laughs> what are we talking about? You'll see. So we talk a lot about being a team, about being a body. Paul talked a lot about being the body of Christ or that we're a team, that we're a family. As a church, as Christians, as a unit, we, we talk a lot about that. The team, the body, the family, we're all different parts. We all have different roles to play. They're all important. Big, small, young, old, whatever. We all have a part to play. You were created for relationship. You were created to be in community, to be in relationship with people and God. You were created for connection. And if we want to be powerful, if we want to be effective, if, if we want to live a blessed life, we want to see God moving on our behalf, we, we want to win these battles and not walk around defeated all the time, we have to be connected. You know, I can, we've used the example before, but you can cut off my left hand and chunk it out there in the woods behind the ball field, and it's going to hurt like crazy, but I'm going to heal up, and I'm going to be all right, and, and the body's going to live, but that hand's not going to be okay. It's over for him. It's just, it's the same with us. You're supposed to be connected, connected to the body. Jesus is the head. We know this stuff. I'm just getting it fresh in your mind. If you want to be powerful and effective and blessed, then we must have unity. That's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes is unity. You got to have unity. I was thinking yesterday as we were sitting there at that, at that football game, it turned out to be a good game and, and, I was thinking about unity as far as football goes. It seems like I, I guess football season is starting up. So I've been at a lot of football practices with Sky and his 9- and 10-year-old team. And if one kid doesn't do their job, it's a problem. It don't matter how good of a quarterback you got. If you don't have any big boys that can block for him, he ain't getting much done. The same with any football team you can even fast forward that to this coming Thursday night when the when the Falcons beat the Eagles for their first win watch that game you'll see everybody's got to do their part and as Christians a lot of times it's so easy for us to think that somebody's part's more important than somebody else's part, or my part doesn't matter, or all I'm doing is this, or all. So easy to think that. What if you lined up the football team and had a big race? Guess what? There's one big boy lineman that's going to be in last place every time, I guarantee it. 
a big offensive lineman. He's going to lose that race every time, and he's going to be defeated loser, worthless, no good. He could get depressed and say, I can never win. But when they line up and play the game, if he doesn't block his man, guess what? Defender comes flying through and busts up the play and messes up everything, and the quarterback gets hurt, and the receiver can't ever get his hands on the ball because the quarterback doesn't have time. Why? He wasn't created to race. Find your place. Do your part. It's a picture of unity. We're supposed to be unified. When people look at the church, they should see a beautiful picture of unity. More so than anywhere else. But I'm sad to say that a lot of times that's not the case. The church isn't unified church to church like it should be around the world. But even within the church, the people in the churches have got this going on, that going on, dissension. I'm... I'm mad at her. We're getting offended left and right. That's not what we're called to be. That's not what we're supposed to look at, look like. There's some parts of my body I don't like. But we are one. Look at Leviticus 26, 8. And five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. First of all, I don't know where his, this math came from, but uh, that's some pretty bad boys if a hundred of them can put 10,000 people to flight. They could beat 10,000. But And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. So five could kill a hundred, and a hundred... And kill 10,000. Why? Unity. Humans are better together. We're about to look at a few more scriptures, but God created us for unity. We're better together. Nobody's created to be an island off by yourself alone. Nobody's created to live in tension and strife and discord. Proverbs would call it. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9. This is that good scripture we like to use in weddings. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, I'm falling and I can't get up. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. He's saying it's, it's pretty simple. This is one of you. Pretty skinny one. This is Titus. And by himself, 
It's easy to break. Sorry, Titus. <laughs> that was a bad example. Now y'all are looking over there seeing the kids wearing a knee brace. <laughs> but if you add more to it, it gets a little harder to break. I mean, not for me, but for some of you. But what if you add four? Enough. You get the point. If you're standing alone, you're going to be broken. So if you're going through life and you're feeling like, I'm always broken. I'm always broken. Maybe check your unity. Check your connections. Maybe you're trying to do stuff alone that you were never meant to do alone. Maybe you're trying to carry things that you were never meant to carry. That, that your church and your body and your connections were supposed to help you. And you're trying to carry it alone so you're constantly broken. You can't win the battle. I'm walking around defeated. I'm walking around broken. Or maybe you're connected, but there's just so much dissension in your relationships. There's so much negativity. There's not unity. You're not working together for a common goal. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed or blessed, happy, prosperous are the peacemakers. Well, I want to be happy and prosperous and blessed. That sounds good. Yes, sign me up, please. Are the peacemakers... For they shall be called the sons of God. That's what it says, Matthew 5, 9. For they shall be called the sons of God. So if you're a peacemaker, let me ask you, do you make peace in your life, on your job, in your family, here at church? Are you a peacemaker or do you run around stirring stuff up? Did you see what she did? You know what he said? I'm going to put that on Facebook. They need to know that. Do you make peace? Do you look like your dad? We claim that God's our father. As Christians, we're saying that God's our father. So we should be looking more and more like our father. Matthew said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Hey, that, that's one of God's kids. Everywhere he goes, there's peace. He builds bridges. He doesn't create gaps. You teach what you know. And you reproduce who you are. That's a sobering thought. And I mean, I can stand up here and teach to you all day long, but I reproduce who I am. Seeing... Uh, two or three, three things in the last two days, me and Jesse have noticed of Malachi doing or acting, doing something just like me. Last night was just one was a simple one. Like we got called, me and him both got called into the living room to watch a commercial. And both of us stood there with the exact same look on our face. And Jesse was like laughing because we both reacted to the commercial exactly the same, even with the same facial expression. 
I didn't teach him how to act like me. I'm his father. And he, sorry, dude, you're starting to look a little more like me. No, I'm not even talking about just physically, naturally what you look like. You get what I'm saying? If we're God's kids, we should look more and more like him. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Look at Psalm 133. A song of digress of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant it is. What a good thing it is to dwell together, to live together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. That went down to the skirts of his garments. The anointing oil. That good smelling oil that represented the anointing back then. It was poured on air in the high priest. Verse 3 says, And as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So David gives us this picture. And David knew that without unity, they would not win. See, this was a battle psalm. This was a psalm that David wrote, and the army would play it and sing it. All of God's people would sing it when they were going into battle. And this song would prepare them to win. And so... As I was thinking about that, all right, you're going into battle. You want to win. And what is the number one thing that David was, I mean, I could argue that he was the greatest warrior that Israel's ever known. He took more territory and more land. He won more battles. He won more wars. This was the baddest dude that Israel ever had leading them, right? And the one thing in this song that he wrote to pump his men up, this was like their pump-up song before they went into battle. He reminded them that they need to live, dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is. We've got to have unity, guys. This is our pump-up song, but if we want to win, we're going to have to be unified. We're not going to win. We're going to lose if we're talking to this one's talking about that one, and that one's talking about that one, and I'm getting mad about this one, and why is he doing that, and why is she doing this, and why... That, we're never going to win because we're not unified. We're sitting here biting each other rather than focusing on the battle at hand. In order to win, there must be unity. And it speaks of the dew on Mount Hermon and the oil on Aaron's beard running down. Oh, that's the dew, by the way. I told you it was Mountain Dew. That was the, the dew on Mount Hermon. That's where I got that title. Because um, it, it talks about the dew on Mount Hermon and the oil running down on Aaron's head. When a group is truly unified, it's as though there's dew or oil at the top with the leader. And that dew and that oil or that anointing, if you will, 
increases as it flows down. The picture given is that unity means those further down the line will get even more than those leading. See, that dew would come in the morning to a very dry place on Mount Hermon. They get hardly any rain there, and the dew would come and it would water the vegetation and keep things from dying there. And then it would freeze and snow in the wintertime. There would be snow and the dew would freeze and it would melt and run into the little creeks and it would come down. Well, by the time it got down to the bottom of the mountain, it was watering everything and it was getting stronger. It was becoming a creek, a spring flowing down. What starts as dew, the same as the anointing oil where they would dump a gallon of anointing oil on the priest's head. And they just dumped it on his head. But eventually, it would saturate his clothes, his beard, it would, all the way down to the skirts of his garment. Everything would be affected. But if there's a part that wasn't in unity, there's a part that wasn't connected, then that anointing that was getting poured out on the head, or that dew that was starting out at the top of that mountain, it won't hit it if it's not connected. If it's a hand laying off behind the ball field, it's not going to get the same anointing that the body's getting. I want some Mountain Dew to run down. What does that mean? Oh, well, we got to learn how to follow. All of us. And it seems like we're all so worried about becoming good leaders. And there's all kind of motivational videos and there's leadership seminars, but I've never even heard of a followership seminar. And I think it's more important that we learn to follow. But what kind of a leader are you if you can't follow? I would say not a very good one. We're called to be under and over. To lead, we must know how to follow. And if we're not under, then we miss an anointing of unity. So sign up on your way out for our followership seminar. <laughs> we'll plan that for the next couple months. <laughs> In unity, there is a blessing that flows down. Unity is an essential in any team, in any family, church, organization, even on a job. Things just go better when there's unity. You get more done. It's more enjoyable. I see why David said how good and how pleasant it is when brothers can dwell together in unity. Because I've been on some jobs where there wasn't any unity and it wasn't good or pleasant. And we didn't get a whole lot done. You know, it's just a constant headbutt. I've been on some teams where there wasn't much unity and it wasn't good and it wasn't pleasant. I sure don't want to be in a church where we can't figure out how to have unity and how to forgive and how to look like Jesus and how to look like God and work it out. No, you choose whether to be offended or not. It's your choice. Work it out. We got plenty of instructions. 
Sometimes it's harder to be a doer of the word than just a hearer. You know, the New Testament talks about unity more than heaven or hell combined. Talks to us about being unified, about being one, about loving each other, about unity. More than heaven, more than hell, more than any of that. I like how in John 17, 11, right before Jesus went to the cross, like his dying wish, what he was praying to God at there at the very end, like Jesus' final wish for mankind is, <laughs> Father, that they could be one, even as you and I are one. I'm, not, I'm kind of paraphrasing, is it? Okay. Thou hast given me that they may be one as we are. See, that's what I said. The D-I-V. They need to be one like me and you are, Dad. That's what Jesus said. Must be pretty important if that was Jesus' last request. Look at Colossians 3, 15. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with God. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. In step with each other. The peace of Christ will keep us in tune or in step with each other. Yep, we're going to need some peace. We're going to stay in tune and in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Don't run away and try to be isolated and do it on your own and go do your own thing. It's not going to work. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. That's what we did a few minutes ago. Let every detail in your lives, your words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Thanking God. You know, if you're grateful... It just reminded us two times in there that we got to be thankful, we got to be grateful. If you're grateful or you're living a life of gratitude, it's real hard to be mad, to have dissension, to, to be angry at people, to hold. If you're thankful for somebody, it's pretty hard to be mad at them. It's a lot easier to walk in unity. You don't stir up strife. If I'm just so grateful for Jesse and everything that she's doing in our marriage and our relationship, and I'm just so thankful for her, well, it's pretty hard for there to be dissension and strife. As Christians, sometimes we think we need to throw stones, make it right. Got three ingredients that you need 
three ingredients that are necessary for unity. The first one is humility. You got to have humility or you won't walk in unity. Pride. Mm-mm. Got to have humility. I left my uh I left my list of the three ingredients laying on my office desk, so now I'm back to here. <laughs> one was humility. Second one was trust. You've got to have trust. We can't walk in unity if I don't trust you and you don't trust me. And I don't trust that because, well, what if, you, what if he does this or what if she does that? Or what if I, I can't trust you? And ultimately, I can't trust people because people let you down. People will hurt you. Even the people closest to me have hurt me. Right? But we have to learn how to trust God, ultimately, that he knows. And as we choose to do the right thing and make peace, and we choose to walk in humility and love towards each other, that even if we get hurt from the other end, that God's got us. Because we were doing what we were called to do. You can't walk in unity without humility and trust. And I'm going to keep talking about humility and trust until I can think of the third ingredient. (laughs) Tenacity. That's what it was. Tenacity. Because unity is not easy. What's tenacity? Grit. You're just going to have to grind it out. And you're going to have to choose unity because there's going to be some dummies. There are people in your life, in your family, on your job, in your church that are just not easy to get along with. They're going to give you reasons to not be in unity. They're dummies. They just don't get it. Or maybe you don't. Or maybe I don't. Maybe, see, we, don't, we always want to think everybody else is the one with the problem. It's not us, but maybe it's us. But you're going to need some tenacity to not give up. To not quit because, you know, it's a whole lot easier when there's conflict. It's easier to walk away. It's easy to run away. It's easy to disappear. Whether we're talking about a relationship or a marriage or a job or a... It's easy to walk away. It's hard to stay and work it out and humble yourself. Even when you feel like you weren't wrong. To humble yourself. For the good of the team for the good of the body, for the good of the relationship, to say, hey, I'm not called to throw those rocks. We like to get in rock-throwing competitions. And I got some rocks that I can throw. And they're legal. And they're right. <laughs> um, you know, I'll explain. John 8, 1. You guys know the story. So I'm trying to wrap this thing up. But John 8, 1 is when the woman was called in the act of adultery and they, they brought her into Jesus. 
right? The religious people, they bring her to Jesus and they throw her down on the floor. And Jesus is in the temple and they throw her down and say, hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Well, guess what? We all know that adultery is wrong, but then it was against the law. So she was doing something morally wrong. She was doing something that can hurt a lot of other people. And she was also breaking the law. Their law said that it was a crime punishable by death. They throw in front of Jesus. They said, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. And Moses' law says that we should stone her. What do you say? And then the Bible tells us there in John 8 that this they said, trying to get Jesus to slip up. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to get a reason that they could crucify him. They were trying to build evidence against him is why they did this whole thing. But she was wrong. She was doing something against the law. The law said, stone her. They had rocks in their hand. It was the right thing to do. And, and Jesus didn't even answer them. He bent down and with his finger started drawing. We don't know what he drew. We used to think he bent down and drew in the sand. But then a couple months ago, uh, we looked at it and it, you know, when we dug into it a little bit, it says he was in the synagogue, and the synagogue would have had stone, stone polished floors. So, oh, I'm getting off on another message. All right, that's not the part I wanted to focus on. Jesus bent down. What was he doing? We don't know. But he bent down. I think he was taking a minute with God before he spoke. Because then, if you go read, go read John eight. But it tells us that they then pressed him. Like, come on, say something. What do you say? What do you say? Say something as he bent down. And Jesus stood up and said, He who's without sin, whoever's qualified, tell you what, whoever in here has never messed up, go ahead and throw the first stone. Funny thing is that, that we know in reading that story, Jesus never sinned. He was the only one in that room that was qualified to throw a stone. He never sinned. She broke the law. Law said stoner. Jesus could have picked up a rock and chunked it at her and killed her and it would have been okay. In fact, not only okay, it would have been standing up for what's right. Doing the right thing. That's what Christians do. We stand up for what's right by God. I throw rocks at them. I'm not even going to fill in the blank because... Seriously? Is that what Jesus does? He gave her grace. He said, the plan is, I'm going to hang on a tree... And God's going to throw the rock that you all deserve at me. So if you're without sin, you go ahead and start throwing rocks. But if not, kick rocks. Get out of here. And that story tells us that they 
from the oldest to the youngest. So the older guys had a little more wisdom, like, man, let's get out of here. They start dropping them, and then all the way down to the, the young dude that was still sitting there pumped up with his good, sharp, jagged rock, realize, oh, man, I'm over here by myself, and he runs off to them. Jesus said, woman, where's your accusers? And she looked around. She said, no man's here to condemn me, Lord. And he said, then go and sin no more. Where you thought you were going to get a rock, here's some grace. And I look at my life and I notice that the rocks that I've thrown have made it impossible for unity. There can't be unity when we're throwing rocks. God already threw the rock at him, at Jesus, for us. It's not my job to throw rocks. And sometimes I want to. And sometimes I'm right. And, you know, being a pastor of a church, sometimes it's really hard. For me and my family. And you know, as you guys notice, over the years I've been pastoring for ten years, and a lot of people have quit the church. Okay, and a lot of people have come to the church, and that's what happens. But you know, probably ninety percent of the time people quit the church. It's not just uh I love you so much and God's called me somewhere else and y'all are awesome and we're sad that we have to leave. No. It's usually I'd say at least 90% of the time it's a problem. They've usually got something to say. Or here's when it's hard. When I know the real reason, because I'm the pastor or I've talked to their family or I know I can see what's really going on, but and I have rocks, and I'm justified in those rocks, and the law says this is why they're leaving or this is why... They're gathering folks against me, but I'm not allowed to throw. I want to. I want to jump on Facebook and throw a nice jagged rock and tell everybody why they really left the church and it wasn't on me. Right? Jesus said, are you without sin? No. Dusty, have you ever messed up? (laughs) Yeah, just now. This morning, yesterday, and the day before. Yeah. Well, then why don't you let me take care of the rocks that need to be thrown, and you drop them and get on out of here. We're not called to throw rocks. Now, what happens in a year from now when... They walk through whatever they're walking through or they get broken by life or whatever and and God wants to send them back for me to help in this powerful restoration and healing process but they won't come back to here because I threw rocks. That's not God's plan. I'm using that as an example but we can apply it to all different areas of life. This may drive some of the doers crazy this week. The ones that try to take something and go do it, but 
I started doing this in my life and as I was studying this message. But examine your life and see what is a conviction and what's sin. Determine the difference. What's a personal conviction I have and what is sin? Because it's not the same thing. And for me, if I say drinking a beer is not a sin, there's a personal conviction that I have that I don't need to drink a beer. That may not be a sin for you. But if it's a conviction that I have, I think that's where we go wrong a lot of times is we try to take our personal conviction and put it across the board and I put my convictions on you on things that may not be a a sin for you. Don't try to put your convictions on somebody else. We're called to love. We're called to shine. There are some things that we're all called to do as Christians. We're all called to forgive. We're all called to give hope. Grace faith, and then good works. It's the divine order. You can't get that backwards or out of order. I used to feel the need to change people. It was so in me to try to change people, fix people, figure out what's wrong with you and fix you. It don't work. It's frustrating, it's painful, it's not good for them, it's not good for me. Like, you can't, I can't fix people. I've tried a lot. You can't. And it's so freeing to realize that's not my job. And that's not your job. I can't bring people from death to life. But I can bring them to Jesus. He can fix them. He can change them. I can choose to live my life in such a way that my light shines and that they can look at me and say, my God, he's got so much fruit, so much love, joy, peace. I can look at his life. I can look at his kids. I can look at just his attitude, his outlook. I can show him Jesus. What's that going to do? Man, I want what he has. What do you have? Jesus. Come on, I'll show you how to get more. Get closer. And then he can fix them. And it's so freeing. Because it takes that weight off of your shoulders. Thinking it's on you. You got to figure out some program or some steps or some way to bring them to Jesus. I can't bring you from death to life, but he can. My job is to love people for who they are and to point them to Jesus. Let's pray.
God, we want to walk in unity. God, we want people to look at our lives. We want people to look at our families and our church and our ball teams and whatever I'm a part of, I want people to look at it and say, wow, there's something different there. There's life there. That's refreshing. And I believe that all starts with unity. God, thank you for speaking to us. God, forgive us for the times that we've made war rather than peace. We want to live a blessed, prosperous, happy life. So help us to be peacemakers. God, none of us are without sin. You know that. We know that. Help us to drop the rocks. Help us to stop trying to serve justice. But to throw grace. It's our job to give help, not judgment. God, help us look more like you. We love you. Thanks for speaking to us. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.